This week's Paul Bunyan podcast is not broadcast in front of a live studio audience due to COVID-19. But it is game week, finally. Uh, Weird energy in the air, but I'm excited. Mike, how are you feeling? We're no longer the sad news bears. We have football to look forward to. It's going to be different. It's going to be weird, but it's better than not having football at all. That's right. And then a month later, we'll have basketball. Right. And we will no longer be subjected to ACC football and the (laughs) other stuff they put on. You know, no more primetime games with, you know, non-Power 5 schools. Is it weird that I was actually breathing a sigh of relief when the SEC kicked off? Like, I was happy to see (laughs) SEC football, actually. How many times can we see the two and three Florida State Seminoles in (laughs) primetime? Coming up on this episode, we will get into Michigan's road game at Minnesota, Michigan State hosting Rutgers. And uh, some of the news of uh, how the NCAA is handling this weird, unprecedented season. And hey, both teams got some recruits. That's right. All that coming up next. So this Saturday, College Game Day will actually be in Minneapolis as the number 19 Michigan Wolverines will be taking on the number 24 Minnesota Gophers at 730. That's Golden Gophers to you. Golden Gophers. There we go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, It'll be the battle for the little brown jug. And um, Vegas has Minnesota as a two-point – well, they opened as a 2.5 favorite. Uh, Last I looked, it was down to a 1.5 favorite. Uh, just as another source, ESPN's Power Football or uh, Football, Football Power, Power Index. Rankings. Yeah, they have Michigan as a slight favorite with a 55.8% chance of winning. Um, this will be a nice uh, opportunity for Harbaugh and the Wolverines to get a college game day victory because since Harbaugh arrived, they've been on uh, college game day as host of their games eight times. They're one in seven in those college game days. Uh, and they haven't uh, done great uh, on the road against ranked teams either. Their lone victories were in 2008 against Michigan State, uh, who didn't end up ranked. But they you did 2018? beat – 2018? Yeah, 2018, sorry. <laughs> and then uh, in 2018 as well, they beat Northwestern, who wasn't ranked at the time, but, but finished ranked. ranked. Yeah. Right. Depends um, on how you look at it. Yeah. And uh, Michigan's kind of had weird things too, just beating ranked opponents even at home. I know they beat a Penn State team that wasn't ranked at the time, uh, 2016. Yeah. Colorado, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, numbers can lie and liars can use numbers. So it all depends on how you look at it. But, I mean, either way, one and seven college game day games. I think their lone win came, uh, a game I watched with you in 2018 versus Wisconsin. Yep. So, it's yeah, that's a good word for opportunity because when I look at Minnesota, you know, they're coming off an 11-2 and season in 2019. That included wins over a good Penn State team and then a, an Outback Bowl win over Auburn, who was pretty good. 
They got off to a 9-0 start, but like you said, numbers can lie a little bit. If you look back at weeks one through uh, – really one through five, <coughs> tight games all over the place. A seven-point win on opening night against South Dakota State. That really could have gone either way. A double overtime win at Fresno State. Uh, obviously could have gone either way, 38-35 win. And then a three-point win versus Georgia Southern and a seven-point win – at Purdue, that, that was their first four games, so they really benefited. We were not sold on them yeah, last year. They really benefited from having the schedule allow them to become a good team because if they opened with uh, any above average teams in that stretch, they might have the season might have gone on a different trajectory. Yep, and uh, I mean, we weren't totally sold on them last year. I'm still actually not. I think the Big Ten West is definitely the weaker of the two divisions by far. Uh, I think they're getting more love regionally than they are nationally. I mean, they're right. barely ranked. They're number 24. And yeah. part of it has to do with the fact the Big Ten hasn't played, but most of the teams have only slid down two or three spots. I think right. Michigan was 16 or 17th. It's not like they slid down a lot. And even that Auburn team that they beat, I know this year and last year, I don't know how much Auburn's roster changed, but Auburn just lost to South Carolina yeah. for the first time since 1933. We talk about Indiana not beating Michigan since like '87, 1933, <laughs> uh, when Sports Center was bringing that. <laughs> when Sports Center was doing the the broadcast, uh, talking about that game, they 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 were getting their jollies by turning the entire broadcast black and white and having <laughs> the. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and speaking of history, so so maybe that Auburn win yeah. isn't as great as it. Is I mean, it maybe pure? I mean, that's uh, a third. Last year, like, they had a neutral site win against Oregon. Uh, I believe. What did Oregon do last year? I didn't really think much of the, the Rose Bowl. Pac- I, didn't, I didn't really think much of the uh, Pac-12. And then they beat Alabama in the, the Iron Bowl, granted, without the great Tua Tagovailoa. Was uh, was uh, Herbert still at uh, Justin Herbert? Right? Yeah, Justin Herbert was uh, his last year at Oregon was last year. Okay. What was their record? Uh, I don't know what their specific record, but I know they won the Rose Bowl over Wisconsin. Another Big Ten West team. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't talk to – I mean, Wisconsin's good. Um, I just I just don't think the – I mean, look at what the Big Ten West has done against the Big Ten East and the Big Ten Championship. Right, the West is number one. I mean, you know, Wisconsin, I know they – Since they went to that format, the West I, has never won. I know the West – I know Wisconsin smacked around Michigan, but Michigan looked like crap, especially in September last year. Oregon was twelve and two um, last year. I'm trying to see what they did, uh, but they they lost to Auburn in the opening week of yeah. the season. So I mean, and, and everyone knows the Pac-12 had a down year last year. Uh, they were left out of the college football playoff, right? The only Again. conference, yeah. The only Power Five, yeah. Um, and they have been consistently because you had Oklahoma, uh, you had Clemson, you had. I think the only time LSU, a Pac-12 team has been to the playoffs was the Washington. first year. Oregon went the first year. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Washington a couple years later. And got smacked around. Right. You right. Know? So, um, anyways, talking about history, you talk about uh, 1933 for the last time. Uh, <laughs> Auburn lost. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just, I That's mean, such South- a, yeah, 1933. Like, it's such a, you think with so much uh, parody in college football. And South Carolina has been in the SEC since 1967, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they also had a stint there in the 30s. So they, they were in and out. I think they were either independent or ACC, maybe both for a while. Right. But they do play pretty – I mean, even if you played every other year, that's 
<laughs> but still, yeah. But uh, we talk about Michigan, Indiana being a long time thing since 1987. Uh, I was doing some research, and I saw that Minnesota uh, has only beaten Michigan twice since 1985, and they played 30, 30, 31 times in that span. Yeah, so that's quite a... I knew, I knew Michigan had uh, Minnesota's number. I just didn't realize it was that dominant. They even... Yeah. We were there, talking, were, there were some tight ones like that that Halloween game in 2015, Harbaugh's first year. Yep. And I didn't even necessarily think of that Minnesota team as all that great. I know uh, Minnesota only finished 6 and 7 that year. I felt like it was more of a Michigan playing down to, to their competition. Um, also, uh, by the end of the season that year, Michigan, especially on defense, was starting to pile up some injuries. And the defense just didn't play as well in the latter part of that season yeah um and this year uh michigan is breaking in a new quarterback joe milton will be making his starting debut uh, i think some of the excitement around minnesota was the return of wide receiver rashad bateman after he initially announced he was going to be opting out and preparing for the nfl draft but he'll be playing this year now they need him because they lost their other wide out tyler johnson yeah who well, i believe was the bullet bl- no no, he wasn't. It was the guy from LSU. Never mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> I actually thought Tariq Black might transfer there instead of Texas. When to he Minnesota. First, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, this will be a chance for PG, P.J. Fleck to get some revenge. His first season, uh, uh, Michigan beat the Gophers 33-10. to 10, Probably Harbaugh's worst team. Yeah. That was a night game, too. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so – I don't really have too much in depth on the game. You kind of uh, stole some of my numbers about like who was favored or like what the percentages, were, <laughs> who was going to win. On the Michigan side, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, if there's going to be some uh, transfer for some of the late season gaddis we saw. Uh, mm-hmm. I know one of my favorite follows on uh, Twitter, Anthony Wright, was calling him what was it, con man gaddis, maybe <laughs> fraudulent gaddis, and then he did a 180. And uh, I think most Michigan fans did because it seemed like we actually saw some of the offseason, uh, uh, not necessarily hype because I don't think Michigan was gangbusters on offense, but we saw the schematic, uh, uh, some of the schematic talk actually took place on the field. And the receivers were able to get separation, and we saw some new wrinkles in the offense. And the first, especially when Michigan was struggling, it was frustrating because their 2019 offense looked a lot like their 2018 offense. Yeah. And it was like um, the speed in space, I'm not seeing it, but you actually saw it in the latter Towards half. The end. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, Michigan went on a little bit of a winning streak, and it kind of coincided with that. Obviously, their season ended on a whimper, another Ohio State loss, another bowl loss. Uh, Joe Milton, I – what are the expectations? What can we expect? What will he look like? I think a lot of people are interested on that. And it will be interesting to see what he does, especially on the road. That's that's one of my hesitations on expecting a Michigan win is yeah. even without a crowd, they're traveling to Minnesota, which isn't exactly close of all of the teams in the Big Ten. It's one of the four or five farthest Tra- you know, travel to. You know, yeah. They'll be uh Minnesota will be at home. Their game day preparation will be the same. It will be the same routine. Um and then Minnesota's returning a quarterback who had a nice 2019. Yeah, Tanner Morgan, I believe is the name. And uh, I believe Minnesota lost their running back Shannon Brooks to graduation. I could be wrong on that, but I believe so. 
Uh, but their two highest incoming recruits uh, were wide receiver Daniel Jackson and running back Kai Thomas. <coughs> so obviously true freshmen, you never know what's going to, what, what to expect from them, especially in a year like this. Um, but that might be more for down the line for Minnesota rather than game one. But you could see those two freshmen step up a little bit. This will be the second year of Charbonnet. Speaking of running backs for Michigan, you also have Hassan Haskins. Haskins. Yeah. Uh, Michigan actually have quite a bit of depth at running back. You also have Chris Evans returning that team. Yep, Christian uh, Turner. Christian Turner. They have a, a, a highly regarded freshman running back. It'll be a, interesting to see if he gets any playing time. Seemed kind of loaded there, so I wouldn't expect too much from that. Uh, on the flip side, I am somewhat concerned for new up offensive linemen. Um, but their offensive line coach has really uh, has really won me over. Um, yeah. What's his name? Oh, he's the old Ohio State guy. And he um, had a year in Warner. Minnesota. Yeah, Ed Warner. He actually yeah. had a year in Minnesota as well. Uh, so, you know, in, in the offensive line played so well last year, but there might take some time. We might see a bad time Yeah, we might see a bad October from them and by November, December they might be playing better. Uh Nico Collins. He's still on Michigan's uh, roster on their website, and Ambry Thomas has been removed. So wow. that's kind of interesting, right? Because Collins, no official word, no official that. word, and I'm we're, as we but record, it seems like peek a... behind the curtain. We're recording this the Sunday before. <laughs> we, st- I mean, we have six days, <laughs> right? Right. I, uh, so Amber Thomas is is definitely not going then. No, and uh, <clears throat> I'll get to that in a minute because between the two, even though I think Nico Collins might have a higher ceiling, they have so much depth at wide receiver. Right. Uh, it would almost where they don't on the cornerback side, which I guess you almost would have preferred a flip flop. They but, need know, Ambry Thomas more. Yeah. Ne- without Nico, I think they can still sling the ball around quite a bit. Right. I, I think Ronnie Bell will probably be um, Joe Milton's best friend early on, especially yeah. in the first game. They have Sanders still as well. Uh, Giles Jackson. Giles Jackson. Good. Yeah. I mean, Chris Evans, I see him getting out into a passing game. Yeah, I mean they're good. There's they have some options. They have some good running backs to make Milton's life easier. On uh, um, on the flip side, um, cornerback is a place they have they've kind of struck out in the last couple recruiting sessions. Daxon Hill can play corner. He doesn't necessarily want to. Right. I've been hearing from some close in the program, like Sam Webb, say that uh, they might throw him in there a little bit. Uh, so uh, corner with. Uh, with the way that uh, uh, Minnesota can throw the ball is a concern for me. Yeah. I expect this to be a high-scoring game. Okay. Uh, the only <clears throat> reason the... it wouldn't be is it's the first game of a right. really weird season. This isn't your granddad's Michigan-Minnesota game. No. <laughs> uh, uh, I think uh, the linebackers are fine for Michigan. Yep, you return him a groan. Um, who are the other guys at, at linebacker? Uh, I know. Um, I didn't Lee do, Hudson is gone. Yeah, and like, like, I, uh, like I was telling you off air, we if you if you go to episode one, we really dive yeah, into we rosters. Really did more of a roster. I don't have the that. I don't have the entire roster in front of me right now. Um, do you, but, but I was grown. Yeah, Cameron Grown returning is a is a big positive. And uh, I was gonna go into DT where I defensive tackle where I did memorize some of the names because that's a weakness. You really need Hinton out hitting the step up. He was a freshman last year. 
I, I remember being on the Beards for Radio podcast two years ago going into Ohio State game, and we were going position by position. And I told you that Monet, and I can't remember the other DT tackles, they weren't dudes as a uh, – as, uh, as Don Brown likes to say, they were just guys. Right. I, I would kill for Monet and the other guy right now. Okay. Because I feel like Carlo Kemp, who was out of position there last year, was their best option. He might even been a half step down from those guys. Uh, and I kind of expect him and Hitton to be there. Mozzie Smith was a pretty good recruit. We haven't really heard much from him, so I don't know if I'm going to expect much from them. Uh, from right. him, uh, Ben Mason played there a little right. bit just to show <laughs> well how detailed. desperate. Uh, I kind of expect them to maybe throw a slot receiver there because they have so many of those. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is on the defensive line, not at the tackle spot, but you do have uh, Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay. I think they're actually the two, the best duo in the Big Ten. Uh, Quiddy Pay, for as much hype as he's getting uh, locally, like. The yeah, national writers national like him yeah. even more. Uh, he was on Bruce Feldman's, like, I think he was number one on his freaks to watch list. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> he wasn't as good against the pass as, like, a Hutchinson or a Josh Uche. Uh, right. As good as he was, you saw, like, when when the most of the time when he could get to a quarterback and a running back in the back, well, especially quarterback, uh, in the backfield, it was kind of schematic. And that's not to say he couldn't. He did well. I'm just saying, like, top tier to be right. a freaks to watch. But he's really good against the run. Um, even early on, we saw things from him in 2018. He was the guy coming in for Rashawn Gary. I didn't think there was any drop-off against the run uh, there. And um, so I, I could see a breakout season. I'm not saying the hype isn't warranted. Uh, locally, you almost see even more hype for Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, Hutchinson is probably the guy I've heard the most about. On the yeah, and they called him salt and pepper. Uh, joining us today on the Paul Bunyan podcast is Chris Stout, graciously letting us use his <laughs> microphones to record uh, season two, episode three of the Paul Bunyan podcast. Chris, welcome to the show. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be on. You know, I was born in Ann Arbor <clears throat> and uh, some of my friends went to Michigan State. And so I have a deep appreciation for the rivalry. And, um, you know, some great moments, uh, some devastating moments. And, um, you know, I think it's such a great topic for a show. So just really happy to be here. Thanks, guys. Happy to have you, man. Yeah. We talk about how since Mark D'Antonio was hired at Michigan State, how much the rivalry really seemed to be amped up. Yeah. And at the same year, John Beeline was hired at Michigan in basketball. Yeah. And you see a pretty much uh, – Sim a very similar rise in the, the U of M basketball program during the same time, uh, which for me, I, w I was a kid during that time. I was 11 and 12 during those first years for D'Antonio and Beeline. So I really grew up with the, the rivalry kind of at its peak uh, in terms of both teams being level in both sports. I'd say once Saban left Michigan State's football program and once uh, Fisher left Michigan's basketball program, there was about 10 years there where both programs weren't really all that great. So the B-line... That's putting it nicely. <laughs> the B-line and Antonio hires really turned things around. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, because, you know, for me, when my first years, it was like this was someone on our schedule that we were expected to win every year. And, and, uh, and we didn't lose very many. 
you know, so it was like a, a rivalry in the sense that it was in the state, but we weren't used to losing to Michigan State. And at some point, it became a, a difficult game every year. Around the time that Mike Hart, you know, had the little brother comment, that was so, that, that felt like a turning point. Um, prior to that, you know, we didn't expect to ever lose to Michigan State. And so the little brother comment for Michigan fans was like, yeah, you guys are still our little brother. But yeah. uh, up in East Lansing, there was something new brewing. And that was interesting because, one, he was 4-0, and and that kind of capped that off. And Lloyd Carr was 10-3 and in the rivalry. And it was also annoying because your Michigan State fans would talk smack to you still. <laughs> but it's like, you guys are 10-3. and It's like, why are you talking smack when you're getting lost? So it was like your little brother poking you, poking you just to get, like, attention. Versus, no, like... Work. Yeah, versus when when the rivalry's even, it's like, okay, you get us every other year, or even if you're dominating us, you have reason to talk smack. Right. At that point, we were still clinging to... Uh, 2001. The right. The TJ Ducky game. We were still clinging to that and, uh, uh, at the time of the little... And in 2007, I was 22, and the clock game happened my sophomore year in high right, school. Right, so it was quite a bit of time. <laughs> yeah. Quite a bit of time elapsed between that. The same could be said about basketball, but that's that's a different episode. Oh yeah, I, I uh, Michigan's basketball program was even worse than Michigan State's football. I know program, I know I a lot say. of Michigan basketball fans who have like a second basketball team that they cheer for as well. Um, but we're getting a little bit off topic. Uh, we were talking about uh, game one, Michigan at Minnesota, coming up this Saturday. It is game week. Um, we talked a little bit about Joe Milton. It's, it's his first game on the road. Uh, it's a little bit of cause for nerves, but I don't know. It's, it's just an exciting feeling. <laughs> I didn't think we'd get to this point, honestly. I'm, like you said, I'm just happy that they're going to be playing. Because yeah. when it felt like there wasn't going to be a season, it was so devastating. And I, I had predicted before we even got going, I was like, Big Ten's going to they're going to pull out. And they did. And uh, fortunately, you know, there is enough... Uh, Push back there where we're going to get to see some football. This year, more than any other, I'm just thankful to get to see our guys out on the field. And even if it's not our best year, I'm so thankful for Big Ten football coming back that, you know, it, it almost can't go wrong. Right. I wish they would have set it up to give themselves more bye weeks because there's none. And we're seeing games canceled. Florida didn't play this week right. against LSU. Um, there was uh, three or four games that uh, I think actually didn't take place yesterday. The Ole Miss game almost didn't take place. We saw Saban with a false positive. Right. They actually thought he might have it. So it would be nice like, to know if you didn't play the day it was scheduled that possibly you could uh, play later with the bye week. Is that too much now, Joe? Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Do I need to speak up? No, you're doing perfect. No, okay. Great. I had Joe. I had Joe turned down. And he's back up now, at an accident. Um, so, it's all good. so Minnesota. Yeah, for me, it, if it were a if it were a true away game, meaning the stand, the people the folks would be in the stands, I'd be a lot more nervous about it. And I still am nervous about it. Great offensive team, um, and we're going to have our hands full. But if we can get through that, then we get. <laughs> then we get. Right. Then, then uh, get, our next episode is going to be some fun. I think. Yeah. Then we get right into <laughs> Michigan State. And then looking at the schedule, I mean, we're playing three teams that we're going to be underdogs for, Wisconsin, Penn State, uh, Ohio State. 
And I think we very easily could win, lose all three of those games. And so I think probably our our basement, our our you know worst case scenario. Yeah, worst case is probably like four. Okay. Um, and best case is probably like seven because I just don't see us winning against Ohio State yet. Even though I would love to see it happen, it feels this is a first yeah. year going into the season where it's like, okay, I have to admit. But Ohio State's in a different stratosphere. Those guys are up there with Bama and LSU, and we're not there yet. But I still stand behind Harbaugh 100%. I love it. I love where he's taking the program, and I want to see him stay for another 10, 20 years. That's okay. me. That's how I feel. Well, my thing with Harbaugh is, who are you going to get that's better? Right. Dabo Sweeney's not leaving. Saban's not leaving. Uh, Brian Kelly's not leaving. You know, I actually see Brian Kelly and Harbaugh kind of – on that second tier, and the first tier guys aren't leaving. So, right. so where do you go from here? Yeah, even David Shaw, who's done better since Harbaugh was hired. Harbaugh's done better than David Shaw at Stanford. You know, so who are you going to hire? Is, they, are there actually people in Ann Arbor that want to see Harbaugh out? Well, I, I have another podcast called the Beards of Radio Podcast. My my co-host Sasha is a He's on the other end of the spectrum. I actually enjoy recording with uh, <laughs> with Mike and Sasha and experiencing both ends. To, to play devil's advocate for those guys, I will say, like, I understand some of the frustration to kind of get close and knock on the door, and then the door just opens the wrong way and just knocks you back a couple yards every every year, you know? Right. Um, I, I think it just boils down to expectations. What do you expect as a Michigan fan, you know? Um this if, isn't if, new, though. There was right. people who wanted Lloyd Carr gone, and he won a right. national title. Exactly, right. and I remember those. <clears throat> I remember those years pretty well too. Yeah, those um, are my least favorite Michigan fans. <laughs> right, there's always going to be people who are like, "We should be beating Ohio State every other year, being more competitive. We should be playing for the Big Ten championship. We should be in the national discussion." And uh, I think they're just frustrated. That it's happened some years, like I think 2015, 2016, 2018, yeah, like Michigan was in that discussion, uh, but it hasn't been like as consistent to their to their likings, you know. Uh, so that's just me playing devil's advocate. Um, if I could throw a wrinkle in there, we saw last night. If you watched the Bama Georgia game, how uh, important quarterback play is, and this is the first year he has his quarterback. It's not a transfer. Michigan. Oh, yeah, hard hard yeah. This isn't. Right. This isn't a guy left over from uh, the Brady Hoke years. Right. Um, I think there was high expectations for Shea Patterson, and he didn't meet them. It'll be interesting to see how Milton plays. Right. And I think that's kind of like where some of their frustration is coming from as well. The fact that this is the first Harbaugh recruit quarterback starting for Michigan, like that. That I think that plays into their frustration. It doesn't for me because I think Patterson played better than Peters. I'm glad they oh, made yeah. the switch. So, all right, I forgot about Peters. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was a Harbaugh recruit. It's yeah. sad though to see Dylan come up through the ranks and get the exposure that he had, and then to lose him. But it seems like we were going to lose one of McCaffrey or Milton, and we got to choose, and we're going with Milton. So you just don't see that. you just don't see players of like high quality caliber lose a starting quarterback battle. And stick around. You know, you right, just don't right. see it. Not yeah. for that long. I mean, George, right. Look at Georgia's situation. 
and some of the guys they lost. Yeah. Uh, the guy at Ohio State, uh, Justin Fields. Fields. Yep. Um, Jake uh, Jacob Eason had lost out to Jacob Fromm and like went to Washington and was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, even Burrow spent all that time. Yeah. You yep. know, behind Burrow didn't beat out Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. And, right. It's, yeah. it's the new reality of college football. Yeah. I think getting back to you know being on the the championship level, I think a lot of people forget that Harbaugh was a bad fourth down call away from getting into the college football playoffs. I don't forget. So when so when <laughs> when everyone says like, hey, here's this guy, he was supposed to bring you to mm-hmm. the top of the mountain, he really did. He was that close. It was it a was horrific very call. Yeah. And then we go into the playoffs. Now maybe we don't compete with the other three teams that were in there that year. But then he would have a much different legacy right. than he has now and that's how close he came. Right. And Again, not to not to like keep playing devil's advocate, but you know, for for conversation purpose, I guess he he has looked kind of different since that game, though, right? <laughs> like hasn't been as, as like fiery, maybe. Belandi said that his soul was taken after that game, and he hasn't looked <laughs> the same since. And you know, he was clearly angry, but we came back the following year and played well, and the year after that, and played well. There was a year where we, if it weren't John O'Corn at the helm, we would have beaten Ohio State. It's really only the last two when we've gotten, you know, door, crazy, yeah. where we well, haven't really even competed. Seems like Ryan Day has uh, Don Brown's number. That's true. Yeah, and they they were on the staff together at Boston College. It doesn't help that they take our they take our coaches, you know, yeah. over there yeah. as well. And Harbaugh downplays that, but if you've got a coach in your room, and then he goes to, <laughs> he goes to, the, the, rival, to the rival, you're not you can't tell me that that doesn't help them. Because they know what we're trying to do much more right. so than we know what they're trying to do. So what's the answer to this year? I don't know schematically how we can beat Ohio State. I don't know how we can get better athletes because they get the best athletes. So I guess the question is, if we play our best game and they play their worst game, can we beat them this year? Yeah, if, if that happens. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have the better quarterback. So unless do, Mel, just, Justin Fields is one of the best in the country yeah. for sure, the and, and they should have and they should have beaten uh, Clemson. Ryan Day lost them that game. Yeah, um, getting back to this season and uh, the game at hand, Michigan at Minnesota. Who do you guys think as a as Michigan fans? Who's a key player to watch for this game on the Michigan side, uh, and maybe overall for the season? Well, I think we're I think we're hurting a cornerback, losing Ambry, and so. I think the question is, are we going to have the athletes to, to be able to run around uh, without a Jabril Peppers, without a Devin Bush? And so for me, Viper is the position that is most crucial on the defensive side. I Yeah, I, I, I was told, Joe, I think the corners are a weakness. I think the defensive tackles are a weakness. I kind of expect Minnesota to score. So the players I'd watch is our skilled players on the offensive side. We, we're going to have to beat them in a shootout. So Milton, Charbonnet. Nico Collins still hasn't said if he's playing or not. The other wide receivers. Yeah, I think Nico's out. I mean, he's, that would be your prediction. Well, he's he's uh, he's he's spoken to an NFL agent. I think he's paid money. I think that case is closed. I think he's gotcha. I think he's not going to be playing this year. Same with Ambry. Now we still have Ronnie Bell. Ronnie Bell. We still have a lot of speed with Sandra still and Giles and yep. tons of young. Chris Evans is back. Chris Evans is back. <laughs> right. And so offensively, I, I love what we have. Defensively, I think we're close. 
but yeah. we might be a couple of positions and off. Mike, Mike was saying earlier when we were talking about Michigan that Michigan could like withstand a loss at wide receiver without Nico Collins. Not so much Am- losing Avery Thomas in that second. They haven't recruited well the last couple of years, right? So they don't have the depth there. I think Michigan will be decent at safety with uh, is it Hawkins, the Utah Brad transfer? Hawkins, and then, and then uh, uh, Daxton Hill. I yeah. think will be they'll look for him to take the next step and yeah. fill that starting role. But the corners, I don't actually know who their other corners are, and I'm, I'm usually on top of that type of stuff. People say that like. They'd like to see Daxton Hill on offense. I'd like to see some of those receivers maybe try to play <laughs> No, but yeah, Daxton highly touted out of high school. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, has an enormously high ceiling. So if he covers a lot of ground out there, that could help things significantly. Definitely. Um, you guys want to put down predictions for this game, or are we kind of nervous about week one it. for this weird year? You go first. Well, I said that the Vegas uh, having Minnesota's 1.5 favorites was reasonable, and I uh, ESPN Power Index actually gives uh, Michigan a 55% chance to win. I think either or is fair. Either way, I'm 50-50. Either way, U of M's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> I say Michigan 38, Minnesota 28. Okay. I, I just, I'm a little, even on the offensive side, I'm still a little worried. First game for Milton, four new offensive linemen. Um, and I think Michigan has some gaps in their defense, so I'm not super confident. I was also telling him I thought, Minnesota may have been a little overrated in the Big Ten West last year. So I, I, I don't know how to read this game. It's really weird. I can okay. see I, I expect it to be close. That's all I'll say. I'll, okay. I was I touched on it earlier, but I think Minnesota really benefited from uh playing the likes of let me find their schedule. Fresno State. Yeah. South Dakota State, Fresno State, Georgia Georgia Southern and Purdue, I believe without Rondale Moore uh, as their first four games, and all four of those were tight. They're not gonna have such luck this year, you know. Run that out of conference schedule again. South Dakota State, which was a seven point win. Fresno State, a three point double overtime win, and then Georgia Southern, a three point win. Now, to be um, fair, that was early in the season, and they got right. better. But at the same time, that but out that's of, what I'm saying. Like the schedule, the schedule, schedule allowed should be them, illegal. The schedule allowed them to become a good team towards the end, where they beat Penn State and uh, Auburn. Um, so I, I think Michigan wins, but I'm going to say it's more low scoring just because of the uncertainty, the practice times, um, and I think it's going to be close. I'm going to say 23-20, to 20, Michigan. Okay. I'd be happy with either of those wins. I mean, a, win, a win is a win. Screw um, it. I'll go Michigan 30, uh, Minnesota 29. Oh, wow. Okay. Very close. Okay. So we're all pretty close in our predictions, though. Yeah. Not too far off. I've got the 10 point, but you guys are both pretty close. Didn't Minnesota play in the Big Ten title last year? And before they were, they were, they were a game away. They lost. They they were playing Wisconsin in the final week, and the winner was going. And Wisconsin won by twenty. I understand. Okay, gotcha. Oh, Wisconsin won by that much? Yeah, twenty-one actually. In, in my head, I remember that being a closer game. I wanted to. I'm I'm sick of Wisconsin, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, crazy that 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 side of the Big Ten doesn't have arguably the best four teams in it. Which is why I don't want to see you know yeah. divisions within conference anyway. But that's for another. There was podcast. a there was a year that Ohio State beat Wisconsin by how much? Fifty nine to nothing. Yeah, and that was that was uh, the year um, they had uh, Cardale Jones in his first start win fifty nine nothing. That got them into the playoffs. Now Wisconsin has been kind of even with Michigan, but Michigan's kind of looked at it as somewhat of a disappointment during Harbaugh, and it's like they kind of whoever's at home wins. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the level they're on. Um, but, yeah, we'll get into Michigan State's uh, first game of the season on the next segment. 
This episode of the Paul Bunyan Podcast is brought to you by Farbar. Make sure to visit far-ebar.com. There will be new products dropping on October 1st, so make sure you're checking out his website, far-ebar.com. That's fashion, that's clothing, designs, all original stuff. If you want to support small businesses, doesn't get any smaller than uh, just one person doing everything himself. Make sure to, again, visit far-ebar.com. So now we're looking ahead to the first game for the Mel Tucker era. Also the first game of the revived Greg Schiano era in Rutgers. Uh, you're looking at both teams breaking in new coaching staffs. Um, Michigan State, they haven't lost to Rutgers yet since Rutgers joined the Big Ten uh, in football or basketball. Um, Rutgers is returning their starting quarterback, Art Sitkowski. I'm not sure if he's going to be the starter, if they're going to try to bring in Schiano's guy. Uh, also a couple of good running backs in Isaiah Pacheco and Aaron Young a one-time Michigan State commit. For Michigan State, what makes me nervous right now is that the starting quarterback has not been named. And being six days away from the season at the time of recording, that really makes me nervous. I wish somebody would have separated themselves, be it Rocky Lombardi, Theo Day, Peyton Thorne. I, I wish one of them would have separated themselves because I do think Michigan State is going to take a little bit of a step up in terms of speed on the field from the wide receiver position from last year. I think the offensive line won't get worse, knock on wood. I don't think they can get worse than what they were the last couple of years. Um, but if I had to bet money right now, I would say probably Rocky Lombardi will be named the starter just out of the uncertainty. Like I've said it so many times, Mel Tucker, from the time he walked in, he was behind the eight ball just due to when Mark D'Antonio retired, when Mel Tucker got there, the fact that his first week of practices, then this global pandemic happens. And they once they actually start, their first week of official fall camp, uh, you know, the season is pushed to spring. And then, so he, he's really had to remain fluid in all of this, just ready to roll with anything, roll with the punches. But yeah, at this point, I would have liked for one of the quarterbacks to be the talk of, of the room and have separated themselves. But we just haven't seen yet. I would guess, just based on the experience, it would be Lombardi. This would be, if if he's the starter, it would be his fourth start as a Spartan quarterback. He has a 2-1-1 record uh, going back to his redshirt freshman season. Um, and then Rutgers, you know, they they were as Rutgers as Rutgers can be. They're coming off a 2-10 season in 2019. That saw Chris Ash get fired uh, pretty early on. And last year's team lost to Michigan State 27 to nothing. And... Uh, if you listened to us last year, if you just watched any football at all last year, you know Michigan State's football team last year was nothing to write home about. But, you know, it's it's week one. I've, I've kind of in like a weird headspace in that I'll believe it when I see the game kicked off because you never know in 2020 what can happen in six days. Um, but right now, game day is six days away, and I'm my excitement level is at about an an eight for the first game. Very happy that the Big Ten blessed us with <laughs> Rutgers in the first game. And uh, it's an opportunity to just see what what Mel Tucker and staff were able to get out of this offseason. So that's that's kind of my thoughts on on uh, where we're at in East Lansing. Nice. Um, some of the some of the players that excite me, like I've I, I think I've talked about this on previous episodes, but I think Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor at the wide receiver position have a similar skill set, but they're both just very fast. So if you can get the ball into their hands, that's that's going to be a big win. And Michigan State just returns a lot of 
running back production. Yeah, I was going to say, both their receivers and their running backs excite me. If you're a Michigan State fan, right, you right. should be excited. <laughs> I just don't know if they're going to have someone to be able to throw to them or exactly. someone to be able to block for them. Exactly. Um, right now, uh, Jordan Reed, the offensive tackle, will not be playing. He's opted out due to COVID. Can't blame him for that. Um, you know, just want him to stay healthy. We'll see because last year uh, they were starting three freshmen on the left side of the offensive line and Nick Samak, J.D. Duplain, and uh, Devontae Dobbs. Uh, Devontae Dobbs was able to play four games or less, so he redshirted, but the other two played uh, more than four games. But they were actually, it felt like, their best linemen. So if they can take the next step, um, I would have told you so many times last year the worst coach on Michigan State staff was the offensive line <laughs> Whoever was working with the offensive lineman, it was Mark Staten last year, but it was Jim Bowman for the years before that. I, I think just keep bringing in Chris Kapilovic from Colorado is a, a huge boost to that. And Dobbs was highly uh, touted out of uh, Belleville. Yeah. Yeah. And um, for me, the other position battle to watch, aside from quarterback, is at the corner spot. Uh, Michigan State loses Josiah Scott to the NFL. He's in Jacksonville now and Josh Butler to graduation. So like Michigan, Michigan State is replacing their two starting corners. Um, they do have some talent there. Uh, Julian Barnett came in as a four-star athlete, played mostly wide receiver his freshman year, but he's he's making the transition to full-time corner, uh, similar to Justin Lane. Um, Shakur Brown has some starting experience and has a few picks under his belt. Kalen Gervin was a four-star recruit out of Cast Tech. And then uh, two seniors, Dominique Long and uh, Trey Person, are kind of hybrids. You can see them at the safety or the corner spot. Um, and then Angelo Gross, a true freshman, has been getting a lot of talk from uh, Harlan Barnett, who's back as the secondary coach. What is the difference in scheme uh, defensively for Michigan State, or no difference? That's the thing. Is uh, I don't know. Wasn't able to watch <laughs> <laughs> the spring game. Um, so I get that's that's part of like what I'm nervous to see. Are they going to maintain? Uh, what Narduzzi kind of instilled, that press coverage, cover man, where you just kind of uh, put your two corners on an island and hope that they, you know, have the skill to maintain themselves? Or is it going to be more of a, I, I don't know if they're going to go with like a 3-4 type scheme, 4-3, if they're going to be more aggressive. Um, the, the defensive coordinator, Scotty Hazelton, is coming from Kansas State. Who played in the Big 12 last year, uh, but actually had—I know it's not saying much—but one of the best defenses in the <laughs> in the Big 12 last year. I believe they beat Oklahoma. Um, so I don't. There's just so much I don't know. I'm kind of going off of like film of where these coordinators came from. Same goes for the offense. Uh, Jay Johnson has taken over the playing court, the playing calling the plays as the offensive coordinator. I kind of liked Brad Salem in that role last year, but I think D'Antonio should have promoted him to offensive coordinator back in like 2017, to be honest. Um, so that's, that's kind of like a, a concern for me, not knowing what the defense is going to look like. I do think the defense will not be as good just losing players like Kenny Willekes, Raquan Williams, Josiah Scott, as I mentioned. Um, the players who excite me on the defense are probably Naquan Jones at defensive tackle, uh, Jacob Ponishuk at defensive end. And then, uh, well, I think it might be the best player on the team is uh, linebacker Antoine Simmons, who hails hails from Ann Arbor, actually. Yeah, pioneer kid. Unreal. <laughs> <laughs> Was he in the same class as uh, Ryzen? And also, yeah, from... Hunter Ryzen came from Skyline, 
and is now at some. Oh, I thought he was college. a pioneer for some reason. I don't, I don't, I don't understand how a kid that plays football, kitty corner from the big house, ends up going to East Lansing. Might, might just want to change the scene. We see uh, Andrew Anthony, a uh, three-star receiver from East Lansing, this summer committed to Michigan. You know, you Brandon Johns, Brandon uh, Johns, in basketball. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people like the to the beat of their own drum. That's right. I don't yeah. mind when they come from East Lansing and they come to Ann Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I've, I've talked with both of you guys about a kid in uh, our backyard here in Ypsilanti committing to Michigan State, who I'm trying to bring his name up on every episode of every podcast I do, and that would be Imani Bates. But <laughs> Can he play quarterback for Michigan State? We'll see. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to put him behind an offensive line that can't protect him for basketball season, though. <laughs> so, Joe, I uh, thought the only – uh, surefire when the surefire game for Michigan State to win was against Rutgers. But hearing you talk, I almost have a little bit. Of doubt now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Like I I'm not viewing anything as a sure thing right now, yeah. just because. I mean, thankfully your first game is against Rutgers and it is against a team that's breaking in a new coaching staff as well. Uh, Chris Ash was so bad yeah. that that actually might be a positive for Rush Rutgers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but they did lose to Michigan State twenty-seven nothing last year. Right. And that wasn't. I do think Michigan State will win the game. Um, I'll, I'll get into my prediction later. Um, like I said, Michigan State—they have some offensive skill uh, at at the skill positions. You look at um, Trey Mosley at wide receiver played a lot as a true freshman and was impressive. Uh, the running back room is as deep as it's been since we had Le'Veon Bell and Edwin Baker and Jeremy Langford in the same room. You know. <laughs> Uh, talking about Elijah Collins, uh, was 12 yards away from a 1,000-yard season, and he really didn't play week one. Like, uh, a, mo- a majority of the carries were going to uh, other people. And then uh, you got some speed backs in uh, Anthony Williams and uh, true freshman Jordan Simmons. You got some size backs in Brandon Wright, Donovan Eaglin. And Connor Hayward is back after entering the transfer portal and uh, deciding Michigan State was home and coming back. I think – this staff will use him more as a uh, a fluid weapon rather than just putting him at running back, you know. Um, and then another quick concern I have is uh, the tight ends. Uh, well, that's, that's one of the other position battles aside from quarterback that I, I am definitely keeping an eye on. Matt Dodson is a senior this year, but he's coming off injury, uh, season-ending injury last season. And to be frank, uh, just a disappointing season in 2019. Um, but Trenton Gillison as a redshirt freshman is coming off a real strong finish, really showed out in the bowl game against Wake Forest, uh, really came on strong towards the end of the year. But um, yeah, who's going to be throwing them the ball? I think Rocky Lombardi is capable of winning some games, but you know, is, is, is the staff going to be fully behind him? Are we going to see uh, like a rotation quarterback, like every two or three series, we got someone else in there. Depending on how the game goes, I do want to see all three quarterbacks. But, yeah, no, there's definitely reason for nerves. I'm not, especially in 2020, I'm not chalking any game up for a win. I do think Michigan State should win. But, you know, this is, it's a, it's been a weird season. Can Michigan State win by playing conservative, just running the ball, and playing pretty good defense? Against Rutgers? Yeah, yeah I think so. I think I think the run game showed enough last year. But the thing is, yeah, we'll, I'll have to see what the defense is. I think the secondary will be pretty good with Xavier Henderson returning. Uh, Darius Snow, I think, has a posi- has an opportunity to take over the other safety position as a true freshman, which is pretty rare 
uh, for Michigan State. But I, I do like the secondary, even though there are some uncertainties. I like the linebackers. Uh, Antoine Simmons, who I mentioned, Noah Harvey kind of took over and filled in Joe Bocce's role when Bocce got suspended at the end of the year last year. And uh, Chase Klein has shown some some signs of fire. He's, he's a redshirt sophomore now, but we've seen him kind of get in late uh, playing behind Tyreek Thompson, who graduated. So th- my main concern on the defense is, like, what's the scheme going to be? Uh, who are the two corners going to be? And um, really the other two defensive spots outside of uh, Panashuk and Naquan Jones. Those, those are probably my biggest concerns. But if Michigan State comes at it with a conservative approach, like they're trying to conserve game film, kind of like what D'Antonio would kind of do the first few weeks of the season. I think they can win, but I think it would be pretty boring. And I, I think Michigan State fans need to see something exciting. You know, uh, it might not be, it might not happen, but I would love to see them come out. Whoever's that quarterback, just throw it across, just throw it around. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, 20 yards in the air. You can do slants to the type you can, you can play to the skill set of your receivers. And right now I think that's get the ball in their hands, you know, speed and space and uh, just let the receivers work and uh, just use your running backs to uh, fill in the gaps, you know, Greg Shigano, this is the best Rutgers coach of all time, which isn't necessarily <laughs> saying a whole lot, but when he was uh, the Rutgers coach, they were in the big East, not as good of a football yeah. conference as, uh, as the big 10. He wasn't terrible at Tampa. He lasted a few years. I think his major problem there was more rubbing people the wrong way. Yeah. I actually didn't think he was a great defensive coordinator at Ohio State. I actually thought some of Michigan's yeah. best uh, showings against Ohio State in the Harbaugh era was when he was defensive coordinator in 2017, yeah. 2016. Ohio State's offense has been the main reason for them uh, excelling the last few years, I would say. And Madison was an upgrade uh, Ohio yeah. State stealing him from Michigan, I feel like. Yeah, and then, like I said, they have another quarterback situation where I'm not sure if they're going to go with the guy who has experience, Art Sikowski, um, or if if they're kind of starting from scratch. But Art Sikowski didn't really impress me at all last year. I don't think anybody would say that they were impressed by Sikowski. No. Like I said, the, what Rutgers has is two pretty good running backs in Aaron Young and uh, Isaiah Pacheco. Um, so I think what makes me nervous is like that kind of lines up with my concerns for Michigan state's defense. I know who two of the people are, uh, that are going to be like ballers on the defensive line. Who's going to step up at the other tackle spot and the other defensive end spot, or is, is there even going to be that? Is it going to be like a three, four type scheme? You know, where's the game? It's being played in East Lansing. Okay. Um, I think, there will obviously there won't be fans. There will be cardboard cutouts, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Uh, but you know, you kind of said for Minnesota we, when we were talking about Michigan and Minnesota. You know, Minnesota gets to wake up in their own team facilities and like not have to update their game day much. So Michigan State definitely benefits from that. They're starting at home. Um, I, th- I think Michigan State's going to win. If I had to put a prediction right now, I'd say twenty-four to ten. Not super exciting, but I think you see. Um, some highlights here and there and um, just don't try to show your hand too much, but show, show us fans something to be excited about. You stole uh, my thunder a little bit. I was going to say 28 to 10. We were uh, almost on the same page. <laughs> uh, Michigan state, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be even more. I think Michigan state will score 35 and Rutgers agree on about 10. 
All right. Well, I would I would love that. I would love to see some some points, but um, I don't think you're giving your team enough credit, Joe. There, before, leading up to the game, I'm a very cautious person. Now, once I get to the game, I'm a kind of like anything can happen type. You know, like once we have the ball, I'm like, all right, let's go score a touchdown. You know, <laughs> like have they been doing full contact practice? Some teams have, some teams haven't. Right. Yeah, I know the um, Michigan State's president. Uh, Stan, Dr. Stanley, I forget, I'm drawing a blank on his first name, uh, but Dr. Stanley comes from a background of dealing with uh, infectious diseases. So I think he has had them, if, if he's been involved at all, if they haven't been doing full contact, but. I think unless you're at Ohio State or Nebraska, all of Big Ten <laughs> presidents seem to have a background in. <laughs> right. Because uh, Schlissel does too. The yeah. Big Ten was the most cautious. Uh, and uh, Mel, Mel Tucker has had some of his first press conferences and uh, you know Zoom press conferences for for the times. But he he has talk, talked about the brand he's looking for. He's looking for physical football, which you can go back to pretty much every Michigan State coach not named John L. Smith, and that's what they want to instill. That's what they want to be built on is hard nosed, physical, you know, uh, sort of bad boys type football. He, he even said, if you're not physical, you're just not going to see the field. And I think that for me, looking at the Mark D'Antonio era, the biggest downfall was Mark D'Antonio was not willing to cut loose players who were not uh, producing. And he was not willing to cut loose coaches who were not producing. And I'm hoping that the biggest difference between Mel Tucker and Mark D'Antonio is that Mel Tucker will have no problem giving younger players field time over players who might have experience but are not getting the job done. And likewise, if a coach is not getting the job done, we don't need him on the on the payroll. That second, that second problem is right. almost universal unless you're saving. Like yeah. you go around the country, Harbaugh has had that problem on the offensive coach he had the first three years before he got Ed Warner. Right. I've heard Georgia but uh, I'm, I'm fans saying, call Kirby smart, Kirby, Kirby dumb. Mark, Mark D'Antonio, <laughs> technically, he never fired an assistant coach, and he took pride in that, you know? Like – and it definitely helps build his program, having the same people in the building. Um, but eventually people will figure your schemes out and you will need to adjust. And he did not. Right. I think the ceiling for Mel Tucker, and I've had Michigan State fans tell me this is a backhanded compliment, but oh boy. <laughs> uh, Georgia Jr., like, I, I, I don't mean it as a backhanded compliment, but that's where his roots are. And Yeah. I mean, not his only roots, but, you know. He's, he's been around. No, I, I would view that as a win. Um, some I've, I've heard some people tell me, well, in, in three years, he's going to be hired out to, to the sec anyways. And I look at that, well, like if an sec, if an sec team wants to pay him big time money, that means so he was a success well. at Michigan state. Yeah. 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 I mean, when, look what happened when that happened to Saban and you end up getting one of his assistants, right. Antonio. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. I was dis- super disappointed as a Michigan fan, because just as when Tucker turned it down and then you guys hit him, get your guy fickle. you really wanted from Cincinnati Fickle. Then I thought, this is perfect. You guys are going to be stuck without a coach. It's going to be... I, w- I was worried it was going to be Mike Tressel, and I was just going to be done with football for the year if that happened. There was happened. even a name thrown around Tony and Nice, who used to be a pioneer football coach. And wow. I thought, if you guys are... Now now he's in you know uh, college football ranks, but I was just thinking, if, if, if you're down to, to pulling guys out of, you know high school coaches is like, this is going to be a really fun era for Michigan. <laughs> and then yeah. when Tucker came back, you know, you know, switched after he said he would not leave Colorado, then he did. And he saw the money. One of the big differences that I read was that they told him, look, this is the amount of money we're going to give you for staff. 
amounts of money that D'Antonio never got. So now all of a sudden you're looking at an elite coaching staff at Michigan State, which in a couple, two, three years, guys, <coughs> I think, to, to new heights. I think so. And Mark D'Antonio at any time could have walked in and said, okay, I'll go get a new staff if you guys give me this much money. He just never did that. It's a loyalty issue. Exactly. Loyalty. <laughs> Over loyal. Lo- yeah. Loyalty is a double-sided sword for sure. Right. Um, I, I was, as a Michigan fan, I was happy that they didn't get a proven head coach, though. I don't think yeah. Mel Tucker's that. I think he's an excellent assistant coach. I was worried uh, Lou Fickle. I thought he would be really good. I thought P.J. Fleck. Um, yeah. Minnesota's shelling out money, but Mark D'Antonio or uh, Michigan State can match Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, the name, the name that I was even looking Chris at, Creighton. Like, yeah, that was that's who I was going to bring up. Eastern's coach Chris Creighton. When uh, when Fickle turned the job down, and Tucker wasn't really on my radar because of we kind of mocked. Him. We did a little bit because uh, we we just didn't know about one him. year at Colorado going five and seven. I don't even think I knew like what his assistant right. history was. Didn't realize like he he had coached under Saban three separate times at Michigan State at. Uh, Alabama and at Georgia. He was on that Alabama staff that beat Michigan State in the playoff uh, 2015. Um, but yeah, in terms of the ceiling, you know, he'll have to start hitting on a couple of recruits. I think he's he's starting to hit his stride. They got a, a commit from a, a safety from Ohio, AJ Kirk. Um, like I said, they went into New Jersey and they've picked up Gino Vandemark, the guard, and uh, Audric, I hope I'm saying his last name correctly, Audric Estime, a running back who, uh, is just putting up beastly numbers right now, uh, playing on the same team as Gino Vandemark. That's why you get Rutgers, and that's why you bring Rutgers and Maryland into the Big Ten. So right, you exactly. can expand your recruiting Mich- footprint. Michigan has gone into New Jersey and won a few recruiting battles, gotten some good players from there. Yep. You know, plus you know I don't mind I don't mind a few wins. <laughs> Even the SEC has Vanderbilt. Right, right. Um, so yeah, there's definitely an excitement. I was never going to put too much stock into the wins and losses this year. It was going to be about the eye test for me. Um, And it was going to be about what are your flaws at the end of the year? Are they correctable things? Because it it might look pretty messy the first three or four weeks because they really just haven't had a lot of practice time together. Right. Um, It's got to hurt you more because you have a new coaching staff. So those guys didn't have the proper time to adjust the staff. The coach had probably had to pull back some plays from last year unexpectedly because they simply didn't have time to implement the things that they would have in a normal season, a normal preseason. And to put it frankly, Michigan State was not good last year. I mean, credit to D'Antonio, you know, finishing seven and five and seven and six in back-to-back years was a disappointment. When he got to State, that was a a dream for us, you know. Um, But they just weren't good last year, and they're losing a lot of talent (coughs) on both sides of the ball that needs to be replaced now. So – even if Mark D'Antonio was the coach, like, well, I won't get into that. But um, We'll bring it back to uh, Minnesota. Uh, P.J. Flex, first year at Minnesota, the boat was sank. He was 4-8. and eight. <laughs> So it's almost like, what are you going to look like in year two? Exactly. If you still look bad, then what, you might lose yeah. some momentum. Your last two games are going to be against Ohio State and Penn State. What will you look like, and what will your uh, – <clears throat> Your biggest flaws as a team, are they correctable? Are they something you can work on? Or are they something that's going to sink you? And uh, that's actually something I kind of want to get into on the next segment, if we have time. All right. And we can also, we, we can also because we didn't bring it up, uh, you brought up some Michigan State recruiting news. Oh, yeah, go ahead. And Michigan has some recruiting news as well. Oh, you want me to bring it up now? If, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, let me bring up my notes. But they got a 
well, I mean, if you're a Michigan fan with a Florida State friend, they are not happy with you right now <laughs> because Michigan recently snagged two recruits that both had Florida State connections. Revenge for the basketball recruiting trail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Also, revenge for the gym. Uh, the last time Florida State mattered in football and they beat Michigan in that, uh, what was it, Orange Bowl? Yeah. 2016. But uh, they secured a commitment from Louisiana Tech and one-time LSU commit. Uh, 2021 grad transfer, uh, offensive tackle Willie Allen. Uh, he's yeah. six foot six, 345. He's a big boy. Kind of reminds me of Michael Wayne a little bit, who's killing it in the pros right now. Uh, but he's sitting out this season due to COVID. Uh, I know you brought up off air, Joe. You actually thought he was going to play this year, but uh, yeah, I saw a 2020 grad transfer, and I was but, like, uh, oh. Mich- yeah, Michigan <laughs> might be losing Mayfield to the NFL at this time next year, so it'll be nice to have Allen here. I'm just glad I have Jalen for this year because it looked like we weren't even going to have him for this season. Yeah, that would have been five offensive linemen loss. But Florida State really needs offensive tackle, and they apparently jumped on him immediately. But once Michigan came in, he decided to come to Ann Arbor instead. Uh, What your Florida State friend might even be more mad about is uh, a recent four-star – Close to five-star uh, Florida State decommit Brandon Jennings, which Linebacker. if you're in Southeast Michigan, that's a familiar name. But for the basketball reason, he's a top 100 uh, uh, linebacker, depending on rivals or ESPN. Some of them list him in the 60s. Some of them list him like number 90. But he's a top 10 linebacker. Uh, he committed, and um, uh Florida State thought they had him, uh, and actually Miami jumped on him too, but he decided to come to Ann Arbor. So those are a couple big recruiting wins for Michigan. Um, and uh, Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, on the next side, uh, we'll just get to uh, kind of a wrap-up segment and what we think a successful season would look like for both of our teams and uh, just the league in general. American folklore tells the story of Paul Bunyan, a lumberjack of enormous size and strength, who along with his blue ox babe, carved the American countryside, creating many of its landscapes and natural wonders. The major logging state of Michigan has its own battle of men of enormous size and strength as the Michigan Wolverines and Michigan State Spartans square off in an annual showdown on the college football gridiron. They play for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, a fitting prize for this historic Big Ten showdown. So in this final segment, we want to talk about some of the rules implemented by the NCAA to kind of make up for what's been happening with COVID. And uh, we're going to talk about for our teams, Michigan and Michigan State, what would make 2020 a success? What would make 2020 uh, an absolute disappointment? Um, So I'll get the ball rolling. For me, I just want to see the attitude be different on Michigan State. Uh, Last year and in 2018, really, they just kind of looked defeated mentally. I don't want to say there was quit in them, but it kind of looked like after getting in 2018, losing so many close games, and then 2019, losing blowout after blowout, uh, it looked like the team was defeated mentally. They kind of regained it at the end, but for the meat of the season, they didn't look like they really wanted to be there. I want to see the attitude be different, even if you can't compete with Michigan or Penn State or Ohio State or even Iowa. I want to see just the attitude be different. Is there like a workmanlike outlook on this team, you know? Yeah. For Michigan, I think there's four games that you really are looking at. Ohio State, 
Penn State, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Uh, they have to go at least two and two in those games for me to be happy and not get blown out in any of them. Yeah. You know, uh, not all losses are equal. I don't necessarily believe in moral victories, but last year against Wisconsin, that was unacceptable. You had Charles Woodson on national TV saying he was embarrassed. Yeah. I don't want that. Um, I do. They have the toughest uh, schedule in the Big Ten, so I will cut them a little slack there. Uh, but let's say they beat uh, Ohio State and Minnesota and lose to Wisconsin and Penn State, and it's close. I wouldn't say that was necessarily a failure. I'd just be happy that they beat Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I think the goal should be to win the Big Ten. Um, uh, I might be pretty happy with a little less than that. If they finish the season 4-4 four and four heading into Week 9, I will definitely be unhappy. Okay. That mimics my thoughts almost exactly, which is – I feel that there's four games that we are going to win that we shouldn't lose. So that that's the worst-case scenario, in my opinion. If, if we beat Ohio State, that's a win for the season. That makes oh, it a yeah. good season regardless. So that could get us there no matter what. And then I think we have to go yeah, at least 3-1 and one or 2-2 two and two with the four games you mentioned. Yeah. Minnesota, Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State. I don't expect to win them all. But if we won every one except for Ohio State, that's a good season. Uh, if we drop one, but then we win against Ohio State, that's a great season. Yeah. And it feels impossible to, to, to run the table this year. It feels very difficult anyway. But sometimes a year that you don't expect is a year that things end up coming together and you have an immaculate season. So that happened to me in 97 when I, it didn't seem that every, all the ducks were in a row, and yet we had a perfect season. Yeah. So sometimes you can in 20, see, 2013 for me, like I was, yeah. I had zero expectations for Michigan State in 2013. That was the best season I've ever seen. This is the first year under Harbaugh where I'm not predicting that, well, you know, we'll win them all, or I don't have that feeling that we're going to win them all. But maybe that is, you know, mm-hmm. a good sign that things. Maybe it is our year. It could be. I, I I've been at the spot with Harbaugh until I see different. I'm just going to say 10 and three, and I lost to Ohio State, and probably win and losing one that you shouldn't or. Penn State yeah. or Wisconsin on the road. I will say in some ways that playing Wisconsin every year has done Michigan some favors just in the fact that they can't coast by. They're playing good teams. They're not playing a weak schedule. And there's something to be said that they know what a good team looks like on the other side. And it might help even without crowds that both Penn State and Wisconsin have to come to Ann Arbor this year. I look at Michigan State's schedule. There are... There are two games that I look at immediately and say, we got to win those games. If you don't win these games, I will be upset. And that's Rutgers week one, which we've talked about, and then at Maryland week five. Uh, my question is, how are you going to look in the wash games? Now, those are games that could go either way. I look at Indiana comes to town. Some people are very high on Indiana with uh, Michael Penix Jr. back as quarterback. Uh, I look at Northwestern uh, coming to town. They, they are bringing in uh, Indiana's other quarterback. I believe it was Peyton Ramsey. Uh, will be starting for them. They had a really bad year last year. Yeah, but then you look the year before that, and they were in uh, the Big Ten Championship game. So I really don't know what to expect from Northwestern, except that Pat Fitzgerald always has his brand of football playing. You know, <laughs> it's, it's rarely going to be an easy game. Uh, and then, like, another wash game would be uh, the Week 9 opponent. Uh, you know, we, uh, we believe there's going to be a, a ninth week, and it's going to be the championship game, and then the, the – the teams in second place in the two December. versus two, yeah. three versus three, so on and so forth. So that'll be a game, depending on who you draw. You know, how do you look against that? 
And, uh, you know, getting Michigan and Iowa on the road early, um, call, call me a homer. I don't view those as, like, death sentences at this point, you know. Um, if, I were Michi- if I were a Michigan State fan, I would prefer to play Michigan and Iowa early in a season like this because I think if you're playing later in the year like they did in 2019, I think there's almost no chance, you know. Yeah, I mean, you could catch right. Milton before he really finds his groove. I'm, I'm not even saying, like, win. I'm saying, like, be competitive, have a chance to win at the end, not just against Michigan, but Iowa the very next week in Iowa City. By the time they played uh, Michigan last year, Michigan had kind of figured out their offense to a yeah. degree. and as I said, Michigan State was mentally defeated. You talk about a blowout loss to Ohio State, followed by a blowout loss to Wisconsin, blowout loss to Penn State, and then uh, a blowout win against Illinois that turned into a heartbreaking loss. Like, those were the four games leading up to Michigan. Like, that was the only time in my life I've gone into the Michigan-Michigan State game, like, there's no chance Michigan State wins. <laughs> just, they were just they were beat. Um, and then, like I said, Ohio State and Penn State are the last two games, which Penn State should be the last game every year, every season. Um, how just how are you? How are you? How do you look? Are you showing signs of life against them? And like I said, are there mistakes that are correctable? At the end of the season, I want to see some building blocks for the next two to four years, and I just want to know what Tucker's style will be in all phases of the game. Uh, Offense, defense, special teams. Because I, I really like the coordinators he brought in based on what they've done at other places. Can it be done at, at East, in East Lansing? You know, We won't know within this first year, but we'll know probably within the first two years. Uh, can, can it get done? And by that, I mean get back to the Rose Bowl playoffs, uh, just being a New Year's Six contender every year. That's what I want. Like I said, I think as long as he doesn't totally – Sink the boat. <laughs> I wanted to use a different word there, but <laughs> we can keep this PG. Um, you know, it's really looking towards year two. I really exactly. think it's going to be until year three or four before he could be a serious contender. Michigan State fans might not want to hear that. I mean, you can always be surprised, but we were talking about uh, with the Penn State situation, it really takes three or four years for recruiting to really mm-hmm. hit, unlike in basketball where it can be immediate or exactly. Year two. So he's, he's going to need to bring in his type of players and he might have to cut some players loose from the current roster. Like that's an unfortunate side effect, but just Mark Antonio and staff were just not bringing in uh, the most high quality players. I hate to say it about, about kids living their dreams, but you know, that's just the sad fact. Indiana has a good quarterback. Um, uh, second year for Maryland's coach who uh, came Mike from Boxley. They yeah. got to his younger brother. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Rutgers and, they don't have Ash anymore, so they might not be as bad. So, I mean, there's some, there could be some fluidity in the bottom half of the Big Ten exactly. that Michigan State might not have automatic wins. So. And some people are even putting Indiana uh, higher up in the East. Um, I've heard some people say they might finish third. Um, I don't, I'm not putting too much stock in them, but they do return a lot of offensive weapons. Like I said, Michael Penix, and then uh, I believe the wide receiver's name is uh, Rob Fillier. Their defense really isn't very good, though. Right. And if you look back last year, their schedule, their results are even more suspect than Minnesota. Right. Right. I'm not saying that, but I've heard some people around around the the media say that Indiana might be surprised. Yeah, there's some people that are scratching in a win against Michigan, and they haven't beat Michigan since 10 years before Joe was born. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, and then uh, as I alluded to, the NCAA has – Put in some new rules uh, specifically for this season, 2020. There are no minimum win requirements for a team to go to a bowl game. 
So it's pretty much going to be a free-for-all on what teams can go bowling. I want to get your guys' opinion on that. Is that Do you view that as a positive or a negative? I, I, I like to see the school that recruits a player get to play that player for the term I, in an ideal world. Now, having said that, I understand how a guy like Bill McCaffrey, who sat on the bench for two, three years, then at some point they have to have their chance yeah. so that they can – you know, display their talents before it's too late if you have right. any chance of going to the NFL. So the, 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 the traditionalist in me cringes when I see guys go from school to school, but I understand the purpose of it. So I guess my stance is I would err more on the side of at least needing to take a year off. For, or, for transferring? Yeah, because yeah. I, because it just is too easy, and then all of a sudden you, you have a completely different team, and, 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 and your elite schools are – acquiring talent that they didn't need to recruit, that they didn't need to groom. I hated the Justin Fields, you know, what happened there. And um, so, so that's where I stand on it. Having said that, I understand why it's happening. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Um, I think, guys, we've seen a lot of it, but we haven't seen, like, whole rosters flip because it's not easy going from Georgia to Ohio. Right. It's not easy going you might from, see it in from Ohio yeah. to Louisiana. I think about it, it all kind of evens out. Ohio State lost Joe Burrow, but they got Justin Fields. Michigan lost Dylan McCaffrey, but they got Shea Patterson. So it's a great point. And it's better than a elite program just like keeping players on the bench and not playing till their fifth year as a you know yeah. a fifth year senior after redshirting. So I'm fine with it. I feel like it all evens out, and I feel like it's not easy to go across the country. So it's not like guys are. You know, you're changing your whole life when you yeah. transfer. I, I think that'll it'll be more of an issue in basketball. You know, like, you look at the 2019-2020 season, you saw a player like Obi Toppin come up from Dayton. The year before that, John Morant is making noise at uh, Murray State. Now, if, if players are not to sit out, I think you're going to see teams like Kentucky and Duke not just owning the recruiting trail, but kind of seeing those players that come up uh, at smaller schools, just going and getting them for. I feel like it was already a problem with uh, basketball, though. A little bit, yeah. With the recruiting too. When you look at how many, the most, the programs with the most players in the NBA, you look at Kentucky and Duke, mm-hmm. and it's like they're so far ahead that like number three, the schools three, four, five, and six, not nearly still enough. don't combined don't have as right. many as them. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, they already dominate the recruiting trail so much. Now, you know, if they can hypothetically, you know, in the uh, 2019 offseason, look at Dayton and say, like, hey, Obi Toppin, do you want to come play for Kentucky or Duke rather than Dayton? Like, maybe he would have stayed at Dayton, but maybe... This is just one of many problems with college basketball recruiting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, talking about, <laughs> talking about no minimum uh, win requirements to go bowling, I think that's a positive for this year only. Uh, obviously, if a team doesn't win any games, I don't think they should get involved. I would be before. fine if they said you have to win at least four, but also at the I same mean, time, we were talking about earlier, there's not, there's still some schools that aren't playing. Right. I would so say I like think, three games would be good for me, but you, you just got to get back some of the money that you're missing out on this year. And uh, just simply by having bowl games on TV, you're going to get some of that back. And I'm on the Psychopaths on December 19th with the Liberty Bowl when you have South Florida playing Rice. I actually watch. <laughs> and for the Big Ten, you know, if, if we get that Week 9 game and then we get a bowl game, then that's that's 10 games. That's closer to normal than, than what we were expecting. And you might get the Little Caesars Bowl having Northwestern versus Maryland because right. 
Do you know, Chris, if the Mac is playing football this year? I don't think they are. Joe said he thought they were. I think they are, because um, I, I think there are going to be some like Tuesday night games for the Mac coming up. Okay. But um, and uh, I just think too, COVID throws all predictions into a certain amount of flux. Exactly. Yeah, we were talking about what if Justin Fields can't play one week? That changes Ohio State season so much. Right. What if Joe Milton can't play? You know. Right. Um, did you want to do some Big Ten West predictions, too, since we hit the East? Sure. Um, looking at the West, um, nobody really jumps out to me outside of Wisconsin and um, Minnesota, to be honest. Which I, means oh, I will probably end up <laughs> Right. Because that's how it does. Right. I was going to be breaking in a new quarterback. Um, Purdue, they got Rondale Moore back uh, for the season, but there's just not as much talent around Rondale Moore as, as you would want, you know. Purdue gets, I feel like ever since they hired uh, their coach, what's his Jeff, name? Jeff Brom. They get so much, like, hype, but I feel like Indiana's actually been the better school since. Yeah. Um, Nebraska, you know, that's that's kind of the biggest question is, you know, is this the year? That guy will, from Breaking Bad actually has a good year. Yeah, will this year be the year <laughs> Scott Frost breaks through? Uh, I believe it's the third year now for Adrian Martinez at, at quarterback. You know, like, is, is it just going to happen? It looks like Matt Damon has been out in the sun too long. <laughs> I thought it was so neat that they got that they got him back, you know, because he was the '97 the quarterback in '97, and um, I thought, what a great thing for that. But it it just seems like now that perhaps too much time has passed, and perhaps Nebraska, given their location in the middle of nowhere, in this day and age, is a place where it's not appealing anymore for players right. to play. You take away the fans from a Nebraska home game. That's way different. Uh, on game days, that stadium is the third largest, most populated city in the state of Nebraska. Like, it's it's the only show in town. Yeah. And that makes a big difference for them at home games, I do believe. You take that away now, like, what are they going to look like at home? There was also a story about some of the ways that they uh, were so elite for so long. They're Tom Osborne and the coach before him, who was also a Nebraska legend, that now they can't do. Like, they used to be able to give... Um, scholarships to players in state. I forget the exact details that now would technically be a recruiting violation Yeah, and stuff, and it almost feels like college football has passed them by. You look at the way Wisconsin or Iowa, who are kind of in the same part of the country, recruit. They're not hitting five stars. They just get big, beefy farm boys. And it feels like that isn't the way Nebraska does things and yeah. for so long they were dependent on the quarterback option read option and you know now people that offense has really gone the way of the dodo you know yeah <laughs> um, and also when scott frost was in central florida you know florida's a very fertile uh recruiting area and right. uh nebraska's not <laughs> <laughs> the midwest like as a, as a whole pretty much isn't outside of Ohio and Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, and he, they're on the wrong side of the right. division for that. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I really look at it as who's Iowa's quarterback going to be. I can't say that I can name. Them Does anyone play more boring football than Iowa? <laughs> like I, I don't think I've enjoyed a win less than when Michigan beat Iowa last year. <laughs> like they just kind of like lull you into a false sense of like security, and then they beat you ten to nine. 
Um, their coach, uh, I believe, has Michigan connections, and uh, he was considered as a coach a few times when Michigan made switches, and I just did not want him. Uh, Kirk Ferentz. Kirk Ferentz. No, he's he's made for Iowa. Hasn't he been there since, like, 1998? Yeah, he's he's by far the longest tenured coach left in the Big Ten. The next one's Fitzgerald, right? Fitz uh, from 05, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, um, Chris, how, how, how do you feel about the, the no – uh, win requirements for going bowling like as a one-time thing is that a positive i don't know i mean i don't have strong feelings on it i mean i, I i'm more used to like there used to only be a dozen bowl games or something like that and so those are the only ones that i'm going to be really interested in if it's uh going to generate revenue for them you know more more power to it yeah you gotta make um, some of that up yeah i won't be watching but it's fine for them to do it. You know, I, I understand the purpose, and I don't want these schools to lose so much revenue that they have to go under. Uh, right, that, that, that from, you see, like, a, this year. some of the non-revenue sports, like like volleyball, like getting cut or something like that. Right, exactly. And, and, and big schools like Michigan can survive that with an endowment fund, but some of these other schools, they don't have that type of money, so whatever they need to, to stay afloat, I'd, I'd support. Is there any, like, big GoDaddy.com bowl fans that are really going to be mad that teams with two or three wins are playing in their bowl. It just doesn't feel the way it used to when we had yeah. proud six Yeah, we six used to teams. have 300 people in the yeah. stadium for this bowl game, and now we have zero. We used to have a proud matchup of six and six teams like this one. <laughs> <laughs> now we got two and four Purdue teams. versus Air Force. <laughs> um, yeah, other than that, I don't uh, think we have anything else to get to on this episode of the Paul Bunyan Podcast. Um, so I think, yeah, we got Ohio State win in the East. Okay, Probably Minnesota or Wisconsin one in the West. Iowa will do Iowa things, and Nebraska <laughs> still stinks. That would be, that would be my prediction. Yeah. <laughs> nah, bold prediction. Michigan State's taking the East this year. <laughs> <laughs> I think Michigan State, 5-4 and four is their best hope. Oh, yeah. No, I'd, I'd be Run the ball, pretty good defense. Exactly. And I mean, if you get a quarterback that plays well, I think Michigan State fans will be really happy. Yeah. And I and I, I think Harbaugh needs to show up in a few more big games. Like I said, Michigan State can be based off of, like, pound the ball and play good defense and then, like, do some quick passes to the likes of Naylor and Reed and um, Trey Mosley. Like, that would be, like, the ideal offense for me, you know. Uh, that's the kind of offense that can just aggravate an opponent when you think you're going to – be getting smash mouth football and then just like quick hits like that. You know, I'm yeah. not I'm not expecting like the counter cookies where the ball would be in the air for 20 plus yards. Um, and then uh, Mil- I should have said this: if Milton runs when when the opportunity is there, that would be huge because Shea Patterson just did not do keep it. the ball. Yeah, he did <laughs> in 2008 against or 2018 against Wisconsin, and then we didn't see it as much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, on the next episode, we will be recapping those two games we previewed, and we'll be looking ahead to our namesake game on Halloween. Let's get weird. Let's get weird with it. <laughs> Michael Myers will be our guest star. <laughs> he won't be saying much. But. All right. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us, and uh, hope to uh, have you on as a regular. Uh, follow us on social media. Um, uh, rate us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Provide social proof that you listen and enjoyed <laughs> us. Uh, I would not recommend following my Twitter page. (laughs) All right, but thank you. Good stuff. Oh, that was great. Yeah.